Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome friends, welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, and here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. I'm very excited about today's show. My special guest is an old friend of mine, Penny Pierce, who recently wrote what I consider to be one of the finest books, spiritual books that I have seen in a long, long time. Um, for me, it's a wonderful blend of radical spirituality with a sensitivity to human psychology, human physiology, our, our current socio-historical place, and it's just a, it's just a gem. And uh, I'm excited about sharing Penny with you today and um, giving you a chance to get to know her and her, her work, especially her latest book. Her latest book is called Transparency, and there's a subtitle there that I'm sure she will uh, remind me of. So without further ado, let me bring Penny Pierce into the conversation. Penny, welcome to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Thank you, David. I mean, it's good to see you again. <laughs> yes. Uh, Penny has been a professional intuitive counselor for decades, and I had a session with her when I was a young man, probably 35 years ago, when she was living in Novato, California, which I thoroughly enjoyed. It was very gentle yet powerful, and I've always admired Penny being at the top in her field as an intuitive counselor, but this book uh, goes way, way beyond intuitive counseling, and it really gets into my wheelhouse. Okay. Uh, those of you that have been following me for years know that my passion is transformation and substantiating transformation in human psychology, in the human body, in people's day-to-day -day living. And so my spirituality, my, the way I teach as a spiritual teacher, the way that the path that I follow is probably what many people would call the radical path in the sense that I believe you can, uh, you can process till the cows come home. You can fine tune your instrument for as forever. And it still doesn't take you to that infinite spaciousness. That's a different animal. And so my path has been in the lineage of a radical path where um, due to a combination of intention and readiness and grace, there is this radical opening. And then, and there's obviously been a lot written over thousands of years about that process of, of deconstructing the ego. However, in the last 20 years or so, more and more people are asking the question, well, let's say you're able to achieve a critical mass of that self-realization, then the question is, well, now what? And what are the implications of that for human psychology, human physiology, relationships, uh, livelihood, society, our relationship with the planet? And so that for me is the true hero's journey going back 
going up the mountain, but then coming back down the mountain. And so there's a whole new wave of spirituality that is taking the best from the East and bringing it also uh, incorporating what we know in the West about science and psychology and ecology and economics and really substantiating your spirituality. And that is really important to me. Those of you that are astrologically knowledgeable, I'm a Taurus with a ninth house sun, which means that what my life is about is tapping into the higher realms and then substantiating that, bringing that down to earth in a way that has real power. And so I'm giving you that long-winded context so that you understand why I'm so jazzed about <laughs> this book and about the space that Penny must be in to have written it. And so the, what I want to do is I just want to turn it over to Penny for a while to kind of uh, play off of anything that I said that she wants to say so that you as the viewer and the listener will be listening from a powerful place so that when we get into more details about the work, it'll land uh, in a more profound way. So let me just turn it over for a while to Penny. Okay. <laughs> Open-ended, huh? Um, well, I like a, a lot of what you said there. Um, actually, I feel like this, this is a time where we're basically integrating a lot of different things. You know, science and spirituality, metaphysics and physics, you know, religion and, and higher consciousness, all kinds of things. And, um, you know, in my work as an intuitive, I was doing readings for God, you know, like you said, you know, I don't know how many years now, but um, that basically got me to think a lot about what was going on under the surface in people's lives. And I kept seeing things accelerating every year, more and more, faster and faster, and, and then noticing the changes that that was bringing up in people. So I started really, and this was fairly early too, I started paying a lot of attention to um, the transformation process. I didn't know it's, that's what it was back then, but I started tracking it and then trying to understand all the phases of it. And I think that um, my orientation is, uh, I'm actually, I think, developed myself to be a very balanced left and right brain person. I was a um, designer early in my life, all kinds of design from graphic to interior and, and architectural and so forth, which is about problem solving and beauty, you know, practical <laughs> solutions that are also beautiful, but they work. Um, so there's, there's a kind of a sense of groundedness in that, but also logic combined with intuition and, and then doing, starting to do metaphysical work and readings. It just blew me wide open in terms of being sourced by the mystical parts of life, you know, and I fell into a kind of a, a communion. I called it conscious communion as I got going, you know, where I, as my intuition opened, I just started feeling everything, you know, everything around me. I could feel into things, into objects, and feel the life inside of things, and talk to things, you know, and, and that, I think, really prepared me to write the kind of books I've been writing, you know, so I have, you know, I have the whole series from The Intuitive Way, 
which was the first book, and a course on intuition development, and then uh, some books on dreams, and, and then Frequency came along, and that is still like a bestseller around the world. After, and that was, you know, like we're starting to see the world as vibration, you know, where it's not just solid anymore because we're at a frequency level now where we can see frequencies, you know, and it, we didn't before. It was, I think the world gets to a certain point and then certain ideas suddenly show up as real, you know, we can finally see them. Um, and then a couple of years later, I wrote Leap of Perception, which is really the key, I think, to what transformation is all about. It's that the acceleration and higher frequency on the planet is causing our whole perception to shift from a linear way of thinking, you know, where, you know, with linear, you have a point here, a point here, a point here, and you have this empty gap in between that you're supposed to cross, you know, to get to the next step. And that's just an unconscious, I call it an inner geometry of the way we see the world working. And, um, and that causes us to feel like we need to use willpower to jump between these points. And, and it slows things down because we have this big concept of separation, which takes time, you know. And, but because of the acceleration, that linear way of thinking and doing things in the world is just too slow. And it is changing. You and know, I have that experience so much when I'm with people today that are not consciously riding the wave of transformation mm -hmm. everything seems so syrupy slow yes and it's like i feel like it, i'm in that character i forgot what the name of the movie is it came out a couple of years ago where the guy takes this pill and he's in this incredibly heightened state of consciousness yes and, and all the rituals and behaviors of people seem so <laughs> Like a B movie seems so, I know. so black and white seems so slow, mm -hmm. and it's like um, it's challenging to not go into judgment <laughs> when, yeah. you, when you realize that you don't want to be in that frequency. Well, you can't be in that frequency anymore. But yet, you know. but yet, but yet if you go into judgment, it jams you into that frequency. Yeah. yeah. So that's exactly that's sort of the that's sort of the catch twenty two of people that uh, that have a broader perception because there's no guarantees that just because you have a broader perception that you've healed your ego based consciousness. No, no, not at all. I mean, I think we don't ever. I don't know if we ever 100% become enlightened or anything while we're totally in the body because this world is all about oscillation. Right. You know, the brain works through oscillation. So you're clear. I said to somebody once, I'm enlightened every other minute <laughs> because, you know, it just, it's not permanent, I don't think, while we're here. We just have to remember the flow and stay in the flow. And that, that is the best we can do, I think. But yeah, um, I think that we're moving into this other kind of perception, which is spherical all at once in the present moment and holographic. And that's a whole other topic. But so that book then came. And then the next thing, like a couple of years after that, the publisher said, what are you going to write now? And I, <laughs> I, I was like, <laughs> you know, well, I guess um, the, the word transparency came to me and 
I had been using that word, and but though I had forgotten that I had written it in all my other books, that it was like a little seed that was sprouting throughout the whole thing. And uh, I'd had dreams about becoming transparent, my whole body being transparent and stuff. And um, so I thought, oh, well, this won't be a very big book. It's a simple idea. You know, <laughs> there's not much to say about it. And uh, right. And so as usual, when I start, because I don't really read other people's books very much. Um, I just get downloads and right. uh, uh, sort of common sense. I try to be this translator, you know, of using my communion mystical connection to the field and then opening up and asking for help and then allowing all this pattern to impress me and then filter into my left brain so that I can use my language skills. And, you know, I've done a lot of poetry writing and stuff where to me, language is very beautiful and when it's used properly, it carries energy, you know? And so yeah. I always am very careful about writing that I, I try to accurately portray the actual energy pattern in what I'm saying. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so then all that stuff kind of translates through and comes out, you know? And, uh, and this book ended up having a lot more pieces to it and aspects and angles to it than I had realized. It is so multi-layered and and multi-angled. The book is a, de a demonstration of what you're teaching, which <laughs> is that holographic reality. And I feel that my, literally, my brain, uh, you know, my brain mind is getting uh, upgraded to whatever the next level is by being committedly with the book and uh -huh. that that to me is the ultimate testament of the power yeah of your book uh, one thing that i as we get more into the details of the book uh one of the things i want to make sure you address because many of the people who follow my work are very energetically sensitive and yeah. empathic and have dealt with codependent tendencies and I want to make sure that we bend over backwards to make sure that people don't make up the story in their mind, that being transparent somehow precludes appropriate boundaries and, right. and privacy. And mm. um, I don't want people to get an over-Neptunian <laughs> right. Right. on what you mean when you say transparency so I want yeah. to make sure we cover that and I think you've done a really good job of giving us kind of a compressed version of, yeah. of things so that we can get into the book now yeah. in more detail what what is I think you've already started to touch on it but for, for people who are not familiar with it what is the key distinction or possibility in the new book that goes beyond the book before I think that let me let me define transparency at first as I'm thinking about it and um, it to me it's I, I as I started looking at it I realized that most people think it means you know transparency of information that it's it's all about freedom of information access to truth uh, you know all that sort of thing and 
to me, that's still in the physical world. That's, I was calling that horizontal transparency. It's, right. Yeah, it's still here in this world, and it's related to the information age, which we're just finishing. You know, we're still thinking in a linear way, and we still think about information all the time as a mental focus. But what I'm really wanting to talk about in this book is vertical transparency, which is really the integration of the two realms, the non-physical and physical. When you integrate that and you see that the physical plane is made up of the spiritual realm, that, it, that the spirit gives rise to the physical, then you also see that you are the soul. You don't have a soul. You know, you're it now and it's sourcing your personality. To the degree that you have fear and what I'm just calling clutter, you know, like fixed beliefs and contractions and things that don't move, that's like a sieve and it blocks the soul from coming through all the way, right? Yeah. So the, the, the goal here really is clear away the clutter, get rid of the fear stuff by remembering that, hey, I am the soul right now, you know, and I do know what I'm doing at some level of myself. And stop participating in fear-based actions and realities. As that clears, you're left with that really clear realization of what the soul's reality is on earth while we're here still, you know. <laughs> and like you don't have to die to remember it all. And um, so that vertical transparency is this really strong integration and merger of the non-physical and physical realms until it becomes one thing. What happens to you then when you realize I am the soul? Well, the soul doesn't really understand fear. It doesn't have a concept of separation. It doesn't get it, you know? And so that's like what you were saying, you know, you start looking out at all these behaviors like the president, you know, and narcissism and victimization and all these behaviors that people do in order to avoid feeling fear. You know, and you look at it and go, this is so unnecessary, <laughs> you know, and, and silly. Uh, we can just do this instead, you know, and it'll work better. And so you start to have this kind of common sense, practical orientation toward how a world without fear actually does function. And that you can just as easily create a safe reality for yourself as a dangerous one. And a lot of things, but the soul has such great wisdom that when you actually identify with it and get rid of those yes buts, you know, from the left brain, um, you, your reality actually starts to shift because the soul is in the reality. It's all one thing. And that's, I think, the next thing I wanted to talk about in this book was, so, okay, how does this happen and then what does life turn into after you become more transparent? How does a transparent life actually function? You know, and or transparent relationships or transparent groups so that people could get a feel for um, even having a vision for this, having something to work toward. I and realize as you're talking, you're using the word transparent the way I use the word transformation. I, talk, I see transformation as a process. See, I, I, I talk about transformation having, there's the front of the hand and the back of the hand of transformation. And the front of the hand is 
that ego deconstruction, that clearing the clutter. Yeah. And what I call the front of the hand of transformation is then from that infinite spaciousness, taking a stand for your human life and having a way of being with the process that sets in motion that enlivens your living as a human. Yes. And yes. the, the $64,000 question for me in my own life and in my teaching with others is how do you be in such a way that, that the stuff that comes up that's catalyzed by the transformational process, uh, that you're able to be with it in a way that the transformational process continues to unfold rather than getting re-entangled yes. in, in the entropy of all of these ego-based energies and thought forms. Yes. And, well, and that, that is... That has been the, the, the fire that's driven my work, and it takes me in different places. Like, for example, right now I'm doing a really deep study of very high-quality essential oils because I find that in a transformational context, the oils are incredible alchemists. Yeah. They're incredible transmuters that make that vertical integration easier when it's when they're being used from a particular place. So, yeah, yeah. so my passion is transformation, both the front of the hand and the back of the hand. And it's, I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is given my definition of transformation, it sounds to me like it's very similar to what you're meaning when you say transparency. I think that, yes. And I think, what I say transparency, I think of the state of being at, that comes after you go through transformation. Okay. And, yeah. And, and I have a whole chapter, you know, in the book about the bridge time, which is what you're talking about, where we are living in a, in a time period where the subconscious mind is clearing and the clutter is clearing. And that's at an individual level with everybody and at a societal level in groups, in relationships and in the countries, you know, yeah. nationally. And so, you know, if it's clearing in your own life, that stuff comes up into the conscious mind and it becomes your daily reality and you reenact old traumas or fears and things seem to happen to you again. That, and, and you just have to look at it from sort of the soul's eye view instead of taking it, you know, from the left brain view of being, you know, afraid of change or feeling threatened. You look at it from the soul's eye view, soul can't be threatened. It's just a, an observer. It's just um, has this great body of wisdom that it draws from constantly. So um, you get recentered in that and you build a habit of staying in what I've called your home frequency. Yes. Get recentered yeah. back into that again and again and again and again and again and again because it is a constant process of being out in the world where everybody else is not quite open yet. They're at all kinds of varying stages. Some people are quite aware and some are just getting aware, just opening up and some haven't even realized there's such a thing that you could do, you know, and they're defending their old behaviors. Um, and so everybody's at different levels, waking up at their own speed, I think. And um, that re does require patience on our part to um, be kind to people who haven't quite gotten certain insights yet and be a thought leader and that kind of thing. 
um, you know, I always think, you know, that the ascended masters would not squash me like a bug because I didn't know enough, you know, they, they would lift me up and help me, you know, and, and so that's kind of, I think what we do, the more wise we become, you know, that we, um, we help, we, we assist. Um, so, yeah, and that whole chapter is like, what do you do when you're tempted to backslide? Because that is such a big deal right now. But again, it's part of the oscillation process. Yeah. You know, we're going to get knocked off center. Okay, get back on so it feels good. Get back into your happy place, you know, and um, come back out again. And uh, it gets easier because then you know very clearly how you don't want to feel. You know how it feels when you shut yourself down or distract yourself or get blocked from become, being the soul. You I think once make, you have a bodily sense of what yes. being in the flow is, yes. it, it, it has two advantages. One is it's very pleasurable. Yes. And so as a human being, you want it more. Right. And the other thing is, is that it gives you a... Uh, a, a reference point experientially for you that is real and it gives you a, a, like you said a home base reference point to come back to yes and i think the the balancing act for cutting edge light workers today is how on one hand do you keep your own vibration clear and high and on the other hand how do you make the connections in the world that yes. you are being moved to make yes and and, and, and making the appropriate connections in the appropriate way so that your connectivity is an expression of the one rather than an expression of a should or a have to or mm -hmm. a must or anything like that. And, and I think for myself, the fact that I have a finely tuned ability to track energy and frequency and to track my own vibration allows me to self-correct early rather than later when it's much messier and much harder, right. much more energy. Right. And I believe, I mean, on one hand, I think I was probably gifted with that, probably other, um, other timelines where I developed those skills. But on the other hand, I think any sincere person can cultivate that skill and well, create that ability. It's so e much easier now because the frequency on the planet is so high that it makes our bodies ultra sensitive. So we're picking up a lot. And this relates back to what you said earlier about empathic sensitivity. Um, and I think that um, the one thing that you referred to there is uh, there is a kind of a spectrum of sensitivity, you know, and if you get really clear at being able to discriminate subtle changes of vibration, you can get a sense of when you've got something I call like the heebie-jeebies or just a tiny little, you know, anxiety feelings. And you go, wait a minute, something's not quite right here. What am I picking up on? Or you get that truth signal where it's like, ah, release, you know, I'm leaning toward it. It feels really good. And, and it's an accurate truth signal. It's not a wishful thinking right. kind of thing. There are subtle like distinctions. And also, I think there's another dimension in terms of calibrating your level of openness. Like, for example, I've had experiences where I've been, say, uh, in an intimate relationship where we were having a moment, maybe, and I was wide open, you know, just wide open. 
and then uh, and then I am having to interact with someone else in another setting, and I didn't shut it down or I didn't recalibrate, and it and 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 I was too open for for the next situation, and it didn't work or it didn't feel good or it hurt, and you know there's this idea that that the ego has that if we can do something we should do it but it's not always the best thing just because you have the ability to be wide open doesn't mean it's always best well i think that when you come from the soul that there are no rules then you know so right. you open up with one person who is trustworthy and then you allow yourself to just stay in the moment. You now go out into the world with, and you, you sense right away that next person is not as trustworthy, meaning that they're not, they don't understand what you understand yet. Right. You know? So don't give more than they can accept. I always think that a lot of times we have problems in relationships because we give, we come forward toward the other person three steps, they come forward two, and then we get rejected by one step's worth of energy. Because it's not at meeting equally. Right, right. You know, so you overstep energetically, you get rejected. Or you feel that thing you, you felt of suddenly slamming shut or closing down because what really was happening was the energy wasn't being received. Right. And I think that's right. one of my big life lessons because I have a lot of connection with realms of being where it is okay to be that wide open. Yeah. And and I'm probably not the only advanced light worker that does. No, it's so, very common now. Right, it's very and, common. Right. So, for example, when I, you know, I was born in the mid-50s and I had the typical violent mid-50s birth. And, <laughs> um, and I was slightly cross-eyed until I was about three years old. Ah. In other words, the, the impact of the frequencies on the physical plane at the time were overwhelming to me. And fortunately, we had a uh, conservative pediatrician that did not do surgery on my eyes. And then I think over time, my soul got the hang of being in the body more right. and, and, and that corrected. But um, I think a lot of the suffering I've had in my own lifetime, in this lifetime, has had to do with exactly what you said, um, coming from an unconscious assumption that everybody wanted as much as I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that part of it is that we're, we all are very, very empathic from the get-go. You know, we, we kind of get it, um, I call it wet blankets put on top of us with our left brain getting too dominant. But um, that I think that we always want to help everybody else, naturally so. And and then that can turn into wanting to rescue others because if you are so sensitive and you feel other people's pain, then you think it's your pain and you want to get rid of it in them so that you'll feel better, you know, and you just can't do that. You know, it doesn't work. Um, You're so, so right. It took me, um, it took me about, it took me about 35 years to realize that, that I was, um, adulterating my my love and my service because I had an unconscious hidden agenda. I was trying to feel better by having other people around me feel better. Right. And, and I realized that that is the core 
driver of codependency. Yeah. And uh, once I got that, then that created an opening for me to to unwind that. And um, so that's been about maybe 25, 26 years later. And I, I, I'm in a good place with it, but I still feel like that recovery process is going to deeper and deeper levels, mm -hmm. especially as my consciousness expands to broader dynamics like groups and organizations and the collective. I, it's almost like I keep learning that lesson over and over again at different dynamics as I'm confronting larger and larger dynamics. Well, I think it, you know, part of the, the whole transparency thing is um, you clear yourself. You allow yourself to be exposed. You let people see you as you are. As you do that and have faith in your own self as the soul, and, um, and you know, as a human making mistakes, as we all do, that everything's okay to be seen because everybody else has done it too. And they are also souls, you know, and they are just as wonderful as everybody's equally wonderful inside. Um, and so as you allow that all to be seen, something happens, I think, there's a kind of spaciousness that occurs where um, you allow others to be the way they are. You yeah. see through them, but you have a, you don't have a, because you're already fine, you know, you don't need to um, change anybody so that you can feel better. So you give people space. They have space to be and you have space to be in the spherical reality, you know, and so you can be the way you want to, and they can be the way they want to. And then you set an example for them by being more accurately translated, you know, from the soul through the personality. Yeah. And then they go, well, hey, what are, what are they doing over there? That looks interesting. Maybe I could do that. And then there's no pressure on them to change. And then they want to change. You know, there's no authority to resist. And that really works. You know, it, it's um, like, it's just a matter of almost, um, I want to call it like a tactile impressionability of a pattern of energy that people feel through their auras. Because, right. you know, right now we're empathic, but we are, I call it being energy sensitive, you know, that we're getting energy information now, right. pre-verbal. And, sure, and sure. learning to decode that and see, well, what, it, what am I picking up? You know, what's going on here? What's you know? your take on what we would colloquially, colloquially call evil? Like, for example, what's your take on, say, something like pedophilia or people that are behaving in sociopathic ways? How do you integrate that reality into your worldview? I allow it because it is an extreme um, example of fear, of total left brain um, dominance and identity of the self with the left brain, which means that there is no sense of connection to the all that is or the whole. It feels isolated, separate, and out of that sense of isolation, there are always behaviors that must be done in order to try to survive and not feel the alienation or possible annihilation that is suspected underneath the surface. You know, when you feel really alone, you think if you really were gonna feel that all the way, you would just not exist. 
you would poof. You know, that's what I, when I follow it down intuitively, that's where I get to is this potential annihilation. And, you know, nobody wants to feel that void. So the, the irony is, of course, that the void is full. <laughs> you know, there is no void. But, you know, I think that, um, that evil and those kinds of really heartless behaviors really are just the um, maximum amount of contraction that the consciousness can have in the physical plane. And it doesn't, it will eventually result in you pull into the point and it turns and it starts to come back out. It does not stay in one place forever because energy cannot. It has to change. Because it would seem to me that, like, let's say, um, let's say a person who had the viewpoint where they were like 99% cut off from the love energy to the point where they're barely alive and they feel like they have to eat babies and they have to do other things to keep going. And um, they don't have, they've, got, they've cut themselves off from compassion and they think that the end justifies the means. Um, so from their point of view, they're trying to survive who they are that they are. They're, and so, it seems to me the only way that will shift is when they, or, or the, or the, or the, I mean, obviously the best, the easiest way for them to shift would be for them to have, you know, some kind of revelation, you know, some divine revelation. But if you, if you take that game they're playing to the end game of it, um, my sense is what they'll discover is that no matter how many quote worlds they've conquered, they still won't be satisfied. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's constant flow. And remember, the, to me, the flow is the collective consciousness of all beings evolving. It's so interconnected. So even if one part of that total collective consciousness gets stuck in a, in a really tight contraction, the rest of it is still pushing it and pulling it to evolve. So that person that gets down and in, into the depths of hell, if you want to call it that, um, eventually some, there is grace. And grace is the turning of that contraction into the next expansion. That could be an accident. It could be a certain kind of death experience. It could be um, as soon as they die, they get counseling on, on the, in the non-physical realm. And it makes sense suddenly, you know, in the energetic world or it could be a revelation. Um, I remember having a, a memory of a past life where I was insane. And um, somehow it dawned on me that I could just call my own name out of this like tiny pinprick hole that there was left of light. And I started to get my name. And the, as I called my name, I, it got bigger and bigger and I came back into myself. You know, and I think it's the loss of the sense of self or connection with the soul, really, that causes that deep contraction um, and awful fear. You know, it's that it's, you know, talk about ego. I mean, it's, it's so much ego dominance that there is no sense of soul or true self, you know. And um, I mean, I know there are people who are really, really stuck in it. And I'm watching our president to see how it's going to unfold for him at this point, because he's going to be a, 
a model of this process. And uh, so, I mean, I think it's fascinating, actually. <laughs> but I mean, as a human being, living in a society where the practices and the rituals and the institutions of our culture are ego-based and are breaking down, how do you be with that in a way where you care for yourself and those that are close to you and, and still continue your mission, so to speak? That is really the, that's really the question. Well, I think you don't give it a lot of attention because attention causes things to become real. You don't resist it and fight it because that gives it attention. You don't agree with it and champion it because that gives it attention. Instead, you pull attention out, get bored with it, and start to place attention into new systems, new you know, yes. corporations, companies, new organizational structures, new projects, international, whatever it wants to be that is more from the level of consciousness that, that is coming in. And I think the key that you said is you've got to get bored with it. And <laughs> yeah. I think to the extent that you're, you're, you're resisting it or you're in denial about it or you're indulging it, to that extent, you can't get bored with it. And, right. the, and the boredom kind of is that zero point that allows you to pop into realms of possibility. And, and that gets me into the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. And that is the role in the transparency process of imagination and visioning. Because when I've been, you know, I'm a, I'm a critic of much of what goes on in the consciousness movement. And one of the things I've been critical about has been the way the law of attraction has been watered down and popularized as in my experience as a spiritual bypass and a way to avoid dealing with your clutter. And so, but there is a, there is a place in the process for visioning. And one of the things that I have discovered in my own life, in my own work with thousands of people that I'd love to get your take on is that many people I work with are afraid to release their imagination and visioning because what they do with that, instead of having that open themselves up to possibilities and energetic uh, flow, they, they use their imagination and their awareness of what they want as a way to judge and invalidate their current reality. And so what happens is they compare it and then they start judging their current reality as being lacking and instead of it inspiring them, it entangles them in their perfectionism and their judgments mm -hmm. in a way where it becomes counterproductive. And then they shut down their connection to their imagination, which is tragic. And so uh, I I've dealt with this hundreds of times with patients and clients. And um, I wondered if you could speak to how you see and how you help people to be able to open up to the dreamer, to the passion, to the visioning, to the true desire without getting caught up in that downward spiral of invalidating themselves and invalidating their current reality. Okay. Um, I think that we're all involved in constantly in, in the creation cycle. 
And that to me, I've put it in many of my books. It goes, be, do, have, you know, and be is spirit. Mind is, is do, willpower, and have is body and physical results. But people stop there at the end of having because that now they see it as a physical thing and they think that's it. And what's beyond that is nothing. You know, it's like the void. So right. I'm not going there. And that's where the left brain jumps in right away and says, oh, no, no, we're not going to, you know, go into fear over this. We're not going to have a lack of security. So let's go backwards and do some more or do it better or do it differently or push it harder or be more clever or use our mind and repeat it. And then again, and they'll go back and back and back and back and forth until they're just exhausted. And then they have to collapse. And that's how they finally let go. Because after have, you have to go back to being. Right. And that is an important part of the creation cycle that we don't understand. It's liminal space. And it's the, you know, caterpillar development phase. Um, but I think that um, the, the thing that happens when we reach the end of a cycle, and this is like you're saying, where people start comparing their present reality to an imagined one, is that they let they suddenly get a glimpse or a glimmer of what's possible you know part of them is already moving into the imaginal realm and starting to play around and get ideas and get repatterned and then they get a glimmer of it coming in and then they think the reality i'm in is wrong right it's wrong and instead they should be saying look at what i've just created this was on purpose for me. I did it. I, I've integrated it. I've learned all these lessons and I have some results from it. Fabulous. Ah, now let me relax a minute and go into being, into the liminal space where it's spacious. And now you don't have to make yourself be imaginative. It starts up on its own. You start playing and having fun and noodling around and new ideas start coming. The thing is, don't let the left brain jump on the ideas too soon because they have to develop. And so then what happens is you learn there's a certain skill in visioning. It's, again, an oscillation where you go out and you, you get a, a level of an, uh, I, an understanding about maybe the next phase of your life or what you're built for and, and what you're wanting to do. And then you come back down to the physical world and say, what task could I do today that is in alignment with that vision? I'll right, make but, phone but, call. I'll look e up stuff. Right, but, but even the space to do that with joy gets suffocated if you get stuck in judgment. Sure, if you go into your left brain and stop the flow, you create a contraction where you can't feel the self anymore. Right. Right, and so you have to stay in that, um, understand the phases of the creation cycle. Don't go backwards. Open up, let yourself be, let the idea foment, you know, and start to come in and develop itself and show itself to you. Absolutely. It's not up to you to make it all happen with willpower. You know, I'm thinking as you're talking that trust is so critical. <laughs> and I'm, I'm talking about a radical pre-verbal yeah. type of trust that comes from, or, or should I say, it's facilitated very much by conscious parenting when you are a child, a baby. And so many of the people in our generation had unconscious parents. Mm 
-hmm. And so we didn't have the multidimensional holding environment that really resonated with that deep kind of trust you're talking about. And it seems to me like so many people in our generation, that's some of the biggest work we have to do is to unwind what we have to unwind so that we can get back to what the great spiritual teacher uh, A.H. Almas would call basic trust. Mm -hmm. um, because that basic trust is what is correlated with the ability to go with that kind of flow that you're talking about. Right. I mean, I think trust really is a, it's almost like a choice to connect with the soul and embody the soul. You know, it's like remember to do that. When you, you know, choose to be the soul, all right, now things flow again. Right, but I mean, so much of our early imprinting was uh, frequency-based and pre-verbal. Mm -hmm. It's hard to access it if you're, you know, like, like regular therapy isn't going to access that. No. You know, a lot, a lot of the imprint, a lot of the engrams I'm talking about are pre-verbal. Right, and these are just, um, they're just energy patterns. Yes. That we learned. And they can be unlearned very quickly and substituted with something that feels better, that is more accurate. But people, it's not mental. And people right. always thinking they have to do this in a left brain mental way. You have to allow yourself to drop into your body and to go into these felt states, you know, of um, it, almost like you have to compare contracted states to more expanded states. And, and I agree. And that's, why, that's why so much of my work to, uh, focuses on helping people to actually physically upgrade their frequencies in mm -hmm. terms of detoxification strategies, nutritional strategies, herbal strategies, oil yeah. strategies. Because if our tuner is low grade, uh, the, the, the ability to accomplish what I'm all about, which is bringing that all the way into the body is going to be next to impossible. And, yeah. and, and as someone who's been a holistic doctor for over 30 years, it's much harder now to help people get well in one sense, in the sense that they're being assaulted in so many ways, genetically modified foods, fluoride, you name it. But on the other hand, so in one sense, it's harder than ever. But on the other hand, it's easier than ever from the point of view of what you said earlier, that the frequencies that are available on the planet to access, if people can make that shift, it, things can happen much faster if people make that shift. But there's so many forces at play that make it hard to make that shift. But once you make it, there's a banquet of resources there available. And I think there's a way to recontextualize those things you mentioned, like, you know, pesticides and fluorides or whatever, because that idea comes from an old, the old linear perception that there's an outside world, you know, that here's me and over there's the outside world and it's bigger than me and I have to protect myself from it because it's dangerous. The new kind of perception is spherical where everything's in the moment with you as part of you. So, so how would that translate into physical practices? Like I still wouldn't want to, I still wouldn't want my kid to 
to to to down a lot of fluoride. Like well, I still wouldn't want to be eating yeah. genetically modified food all the time. So how does that translate into human it, life? What you're it, saying? It translates because if if you think that these things are dangerous and negative and hurtful to you, then very likely they will be. If you allow them to be part of the field and full of light, as everything is, then they can be there in you, and you're the one who's in charge of the vibration of your own body. You can probably slough off certain things if you raise your vibration high enough. For instance, like Lyme disease is one of those things. I think once right. you raise your above the frequency of the Lyme, they leave. You know, um, that's going to happen more and more with healing. Same thing, I think. I mean, we don't want to poison ourselves, but we're, we have a higher frequency than poison. And I think eventually we can burn that stuff off, you know, and, and, or we can just tolerate it, let it be there for our lifetime, and it won't bother us. Well, I mean, for sure, we can get, we, at, at some point, we'll get to that state of consciousness. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember Ram Dass telling stories about his guru of just, you know, wanting to demonstrate what you're saying. And, you know, he would, uh, he, as a demonstration to Ramdas once, he took all of this LSD and it did absolutely nothing. <laughs> right. So, right. So, so I get that that's possible. Mm -hmm. It yeah. starts with just a sense of holding it in a certain way in your own mind. Yeah. And not feeling, you constantly have to remind yourself there is no outside world. This is all one unified field. My reality right now is what I'm aware of, my ball, and everything I'm aware of is inside me in a friendly way, connected. Everything knows about everything else, and it's all fine. Everything has a right to exist. But I think the limitation of that languaging for many people is they don't realize that if there's no outside, there's also no inside. Yeah. So what? Because then what happens is then you tell people there's no outside, but they think there's an inside. And then, and then they have all these ideas about what a me is and what an inside is. But really, if there's no outside, then there's really no inside. And then that whole duality collapses. Uh -huh. But that's not the way people take it. When you tell people there's no outside, most people go, oh, well, then, it's, then I have to go inside. But there's really no inside if there's no outside. Well, that's still looking at things from, you know, a linear perspective. When you're really in the center of the sphere, it's just, a, it's just one reality. Right, exactly. And at that point, then your reality does shift, and that's the transformation. Ab absolutely. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. And I'm I think that the solution is that we, we have to give them the model of this new reality and give people experiences of how to feel that and what that feels like. Because the ball around you, I mean, it expands and contracts constantly. You know, you meditate, it goes way out and it's huge and includes, you know, galaxies or whatever. And then comes down and you're, you know, fixing, you yes. know, a piece of jewelry and, and it's very, a small, tight, physical one. But it's moving constantly like that. But there really is never an outside to it. It's just a focal length within the field. Right. An imaginary focal length. But you are the whole thing. Yes, 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 yes. That's what I was 
Yeah, and and and, and, and it's a um, and it is part of transparency. It's it's part of understanding that um, everything's working together. Do you know that it all is evolving? That everything is part of you. That there's no shortage. There's no lack. There's no real danger, actually, either. If you don't, the minute you you create separation, you create the illusion of danger. Absolutely. Right. And then, you know, the need for safety then produces this need to have boundaries, which, you know, who needs boundaries? You just need a sense of self about what feels right to you in each moment. Right. You don't need to protect yourself from things. Right. Right. Uh, I think the boundary question I mentioned earlier was not. I, I didn't mean to imply it from the point of view of protection. I meant to. I meant it from more of like a calibration and an appropriateness, mm-hmm. like you're talking about. Um, yeah. um, and that comes from being centered absolutely. and feeling the way you want to feel, you know, and noticing, you know, of course we expand out and we include other people who may be very more low frequency, meaning more engrossed in fear, you know, and attached to their left, left brain and ego. Um, and, and you don't have to match their frequency, right? You maintain your own, but you have to be conscious enough to know, oh, here's a differential. Let me just hold my own energy and let them be there. You know, that point is so important, what you just said, that you don't, you don't have to match somebody's frequency in order to be loving and caring. Right. You know, the... The, 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 the analogy or the metaphor, the image that I use is, what if you came across someone that was drowning in quicksand and you wanted to help them, but you jumped in with them? Yeah. And, and yet, on the other hand, you don't want to just walk away. Exactly. You, know, you want to keep, make sure you are in your strength and, and, and see if there's a way you can, let, you can extend your energy to lend a helping hand Mm-hmm. And that's that balancing point. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things um, I do sometimes is I coach and mentor younger healers. And one of the things that I tell them is that you're not here for everybody. <laughs> you don't have to take every client. You, you're not here for everybody. And that as you mature as a healer, you'll know more what your own sweet spot is and, 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 and you'll feel good about sometimes saying, you know, I think I know somebody who'd be better for you than me. And um, this is all part of maturing. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just call that frequency matching. You know, it's kind of like, yeah. um, like, you know, if you try to give people too much and they're not ready for it, you know, it just doesn't work. It backfires. Yeah, I mean, I think about the line in the Bible, you know, when, when Jesus' disciples were saying to him basically, hey, you know, this is really cool stuff. You know, should we tell other people? And he says, well, yeah, if you feel moved to, but don't cast pearls before swine. You know, it's the same idea, Right. Yes. Matching frequency, being sensitive to consciousness. Yes. Uh, yes. 
not being overly forceful in what you're doing, but being bold when that's appropriate. Right. And, and you don't even think of it first. Sometimes right. it just happens. Right. You know, if you're in the flow. You just act a certain way. You know, you just do it and you don't know why, but you know, then it turns out to be the perfect thing. Oh yeah. I mean, when you're in, when it's easy, it's easy. <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're in the zone, you're in the zone. Yes. What I'm interested in as a healer is I'm interested in two things. I'm interested in how to increase the likelihood of having people be in the zone. And then the other thing that interests me is how do you be and do when you're not in the zone and you realize you're not in the zone? Well, as soon as you realize you're not, you know, aligned or in the zone or yeah. whatever, um, then you, know, you have a choice to, to get recentered right then. You know, to just say, oh, okay, just a minute, let me take a breath and, and do a little shorthand, quick alignment. Yeah. And then you're back. You know, it's and, just. And I think way. having a quick ritual to do that can yeah. be very useful for people. It is. Uh, and, what I like to do is I like to take people through an ex a guided experience that maybe takes maybe originally maybe like six, seven minutes and then give them anchors to okay. that experience so that eventually they can tap into that frequency in a matter of two or three seconds. Right. Yeah. And, and they can, I mean, you can like imagine your body's full of diamond light within a, in a second, you know, and, and your energy body is clear, you know, you, I mean, there's right. all kinds right. of things. Right. You can do. If you have, a, if you have a rich experience of what you mean when you say a diamond body. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's, sort of one thing. And then I think um, when people learn to do that, especially now with the frequency being so high on the planet, that there's a lot of um, potential now for instantaneous healing. Yes. For, you know, for people to just shift their pattern and get it and embody it. And then it's like you forget the old pattern. You forget the old linear thing, the left brain thing, and, and, you, and it's so weird when that happens. It's like, did that happen to me? Did would I that, have sexual abuse? <laughs> you know? would, that, would that be the same thing as when other people, when other spiritual teachers talk about the instantaneous shifting of timelines? I'm you, not sure what that means, timeline. Okay, okay we can uh, drop it. But there's some um, spiritual teachers that say that you don't really need to process that much anymore you can actually just shift your frequency and you're in a different timeline. These parallel timelines that are going on simultaneously, it's all like frequencies that are realities that are at different frequencies that are happening simultaneously. And what you do is you shift your, your, your point of attraction and boom, boom, you're in a new reality. You're in a new well, experience reality, boom. The way I experience that is that there really is no future and past now right. in the spherical reality, those things are swallowed up by this enormous present moment. So right. instead what you have are potential realities. You have your past, which you remember, but those are potential realities. You can go into them if you want you, or change them if you want. And, and any, anything else that you can imagine, you can place your attention on that, that movie and enter it and feel it with your body. And then guess what? It happens. You know, and so um, 
I don't know that that's a timeline. I don't like the word line. I don't like the word timeline because it keeps us back in the old thing. But there are amazing number of these spherical balls of frequencies that are realities that you can enter into and then it takes shape. And I think, I think, I think you are saying in a better way what they are saying. Yeah, I'm trying to be accurate in my language yeah. with what yeah. actually happens energetically. And, yeah. um, and it's not that, that you have to resist any reality that you're in. It's just that there are always options. You can change anything, any time that you want. It's fun. You know, it's what life is about. <laughs> you know? um, right. And, and right. I do think that there's another piece of this is that the present moment, what, where you are right now in your reality is like a spindle. That's the way I always picture it. Like when you're, you're weaving yarn, you have at the bottom of the spindle a bunch of separate threads and you pull the piece out at the top and it's all woven together. So the present moment is like this, the spindle itself that, that integrates everything. And so when you stay right in the present moment, you don't have to go into the past to clear anything. You stay in the moment, stay in your home frequency, in your soul, and anything that is not of that frequency will be drawn up into the center of that space and will come up so that you can review it. You don't have to go anywhere. It all comes to you, do you know? Right. And one thing at a time, never too much to handle, but things will come up in the sequence that they need to come up in. And your job is to be there and re welcome it, embrace it, understand it, look at it, see what the missing piece is there, because usually it's a partially perceived experience. Yes, I agree. You don't have to go fishing for your stuff. Right. <laughs> it's just your commitment to being and living and yeah. paying attention. And what is in the way is in the way. And engaging with what comes. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and seeing whether it's, it's an accurate perception if it's holistic and full or partial and you went into fear halfway through it and it got stuck. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, absolutely. So uh, I want to make sure in the time that we have that you have a chance to share anything else that you want to share either in general or about the book or anything that you would like our listeners and viewers to know. And then, at the end, I want to make sure that you give people whatever contact information you want to okay. give so that people who want to know more about you and your work have a way to do that. Sure. Um, well, I think that with the, the work of becoming transparent, um, it is risky in the beginning. You have to kind of make a choice to trust. And trust is so important, and I call it radical trust in the book because it's trust first in the fact that I am the soul. I'm here, I'm shining out, and I know what I'm doing at some level because I'm connected to everything, and I'm going to relax and let that come through. Um, I'm going to trust the flow, that the flow comes and brings me whatever I need, the people, the resources, the lessons. I'm going to trust the other people who show up in my reality and emerge out of my reality that they are perfect there and they reflect me or they are me in some way and vice versa. And, um, and so there, there has to be a commitment to trust. And then that allows you to say, well, all right, then um, I trust everything that has happened to me. I trust my mistakes. I trust my successes. 
and it's all connected. And so I'll let people see me. I'll let myself be exposed. Now, I don't have to go around and broadcast all my everythings to everybody because it's all sitting there. If they want to know it, they'll know it. Um, but I'm available. I'm not hiding. I'm not promoting. I'm right here. And anybody of a like vibration can find me immediately in the inner realms because there's no time or space there. Very easy. And then that kind of brings in a, a feeling about honesty and authenticity, which is really important. But it's that, that sense of vulnerability that we have to get through, I think, in the beginning, because I think vulnerability is much more about humility. It's about, and humility is not being less than. It's not that old sense of I'm underneath something and not, you know, not being full of myself. It's more a, a true statement of self in any given moment. You know, like right now, this is what I am, you know, and, and then you're being authentic and you're being honest. And, and honesty is also not that kind where you beat somebody over the head with an idea. You know, it's not brutal. It's kind, you know. And so as you allow yourself to be open, vulnerable, real, um, available, you know, um, and exposed, you start to show yourself what the soul actually is. You demonstrate it to yourself and you go, wow, that really worked well. <laughs> you know, or, you know, I got a great idea or the, this situation turned around and it was awful and now it's good. You know, and, and bit by bit you validate the soul's reality and the, the fact that the spiritual realm is in the physical world. And we can make this physical world function according to spiritual principles, which is what I think we're, we're aiming toward, you know, a, a more of a, a world based on light. Yeah. Um, yeah. One so, of the things that I love about your book that might not have come through in the interview is that it's so multi-layered. So for example, some people could be listening to what you were just saying and say, well, it sounds good. <laughs> but I have to pay the rent and, um, and you know, the people I live with don't get me at all. And I hate my job. And so there's a, what I want to say is that there are elements of the book that are very down to earth. Like for example, you have sections in the book at the end of, in the, in each chapter where you ask people to ask themselves very specific questions that have practical focused application. Yeah. So I didn't want the viewer, the listener to be left with, oh, well, what Penny's saying sounds great, but what does it have to do with me? And, and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and does she understand how the world is for me right now? I want to say, yes, yeah, she does. And well, I think I try to anticipate those questions that come from the left brain. You know, when you get an experience of what it's like from the right brain and the soul, and you get that feeling of, it's like an ideal thing. And I think, actually, I think idealism is a kind of memory of purity. Do you know, yeah. it's like, like, I do remember how it is, you know, how it works. And it could be that way, you know. And so, um, but so you've got to be able to go into that and feel it as um, a goal, kind of, or as something that you, re you want to remember it. And then um, the left brain will chime in and say, yeah, but. Yeah, but I have to make a living. Well, if you're your soul, your genius is going to flow through. 
you're going to be, you say that job, I'm finished doing that job. I've learned everything I can learn at that job. And it was fine. And I learned it. And now I get the glimmers of new self-expression that's going to be much closer to my purpose and destiny and what I'm built for and what I love. And as soon as I choose it, the universe will align for that to occur. It always seems like it comes back. It always seems like it comes back to awareness and trust. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, and choice. And yes. Choice for soul. Yeah. Awareness. Choice for soul over and over. Um, and and uh, just not letting yourself go into misery over how awful the world is. You know, otherwise, you know, you just stall everything. Yes. <laughs> uh, do you have a, is it too early or do you have a sense of what is next for you in terms of your, your uh your authorship life or your professional life um there are a couple things i want to i'm i want to work a lot more with counselors and helping professionals to help them understand this new consciousness and how healing is going to be changing you know it is changing Um, so that that's one thing and and, um and i also you know, I love numerology and I have a very deep understanding about numbers. So I want to write a book on, on numerology, um, kind of a reference book actually about how it connects with soul and personality and inner geometries and things like that, which is, um, and, um, and I'm also wanting to work more with leadership, actually transformed leadership and work with people who can influence other people, get the leaders to have their consciousness um, be such that they can instill that in the organizational structure and get results to happen in a whole different way. And that may also relate to government. Um, You know, there's some wonderful people like Tim Ryan, for instance, who are um, starting to get meditation going and, you know, so I'd like to support conscious leaders. Yeah, I'm freaking out here. I'm freaking out here because I feel like I'm listening to myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no accident we're talking today. Yeah. So, but I, will, I want to just thank you so much for being who you are and being in the space that you're in that that book was able to come through. And I just want to say to the viewers and listeners that I consider myself a very discerning reader, a very discerning spiritual student. And this book is my favorite spiritual book that I've probably found in <laughs> many, many, many years because of its timeliness, its multi-layeredness, its power. And um, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's called Transparency. And what's the subtitle? Yeah, it's called Seeing Through to Our Expanded Human Capacity. Transparency, Seeing Through to Our Expanded human, expanded human capacities. <laughs> right. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to say in closing? And then you can give your contact and if you would give your contact information. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, you can probably tell I'm, I'm very optimistic. I, I, I don't have a lot of uh, negative ideas about things. I know people are suffering and I'm, you know, I think we each have our way of contributing from our hearts into the world and it all fits together really well and it'll all uplift us all. So I don't, we don't have to go and rescue people unless you feel that's what you love to do and go help feed people or whatever it is. But um, I think I just, 
I almost feel like part of me is already in the future where it has changed and I'm looking back on this and seeing how it came about. Um, so anyway, very positive sense of things. And um, yeah, and, and people can get hold of me or get information through my website, which is just my name, pennypierce.com, and that's spelled P-E-N-N-E-Y, and then P-E-I-R-C-E. So and could you could you give that spelling again because it's a little unusual? It is. Both names are a little odd. Yeah. It's P-E-N-N-E-Y, and then P-E-I-R-C-E, Penny Pierce. You know, as you were talking there, what came up for me was how important it is to, to, to track and follow your joy. <laughs> because I, I love what you said about feeding hungry people. The people that, quote unquote, should feed hungry people are the ones that it's joyous for them mm. to feed hungry people. Mm -hmm. And, and it, you know, we, we kind of gloss over it, but I think it's one of our greatest uh, feedback systems between the fullness of our being and our human self yeah is is when there's that resonance there's joy that is yeah. yeah and that joy really is the soul vibration i think absolutely as it you know it's the vibration of the soul as it comes into the physical world right you know could um, you also give the names of like uh, i'm assuming that the transparency book is the last of a trilogy Actually, it's the fourth book now. <laughs> it was a trilogy. Now it's four. Oh, the Intuitive Way. Okay. And then Frequency. Okay. And that was the Power of Personal Vibration. Okay. And then Leap of Perception, which is, I think the subtitle is um, The Transforming Power of Attention. Okay. Attention. And now Transparency. Okay. Very good. Mm -hmm. So people can plug in yeah. to that. Flow it is a it is a progression, right? Yeah. yeah, so it makes sense in a linear way as well. You know? Right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been a total joy. Thank you, David. It's good to connect with you again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening or watching another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc, and here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. We do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And as you can tell, it's been really a thrill and a joy for me today to be with our very special guest, Penny Pierce. So with that, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. joining us for today's episode of freeing the body freeing the soul to access all episodes including show notes go to cuttingedgedoc.com that's cuttingedgedoc.com lastly if you love today's show you can support dr david his work and the show by going over to itunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.